take digital notes. Yeah. Did you? Analog. Yeah. See, I'm I'm I in a my... I'm in a digital phase right now. I'm not not in an analog phase right now. And actually, one of the reasons why is the notebook that I do have kind of at the ready is full. It's like I'm on the last page. Oh, Piers, I have to send you some. <laughs> okay. Because please send gifts. I have got. Uh, what is the like most appropriate term for the amount of hoarding? Um, unopened <laughs> sketchbooks. Well, I was actually just thinking shit ton. Mm-hmm. Metric. No, metric. Because they have yeah. a lot. All right. And of course, I have my Palomino Blackwing pencil, oh. as one should have. As one should. Yeah, you're a you're a pencil guy. Uh, pencil pen. I mean, I have sitting right next to me my Lamy fountain pen i've got my acme i've been i've been using the acme quite often but i also have the good old old school like federal government ballpoint click ballpoint pen yep but of course of course it's field notes branded so (laughs) oh yeah i know which one you're talking about yeah but i mean I, i just love those because one they're the traditional ballpoint ink which I like, I like that ink because I actually can control the weight of it, especially if I'm sketching with it. Yeah, yeah. Every so often, I'll you actually can do like shading to... and stuff. Exactly. Whereas you can't do that as well with gel pens. Which, mm, yeah. Whoever um, invented gel pens, I mean, sure they write fluidly and all that other stuff, but God, they're stupid. <laughs> <laughs> they are. Uh, they smear. They smear so and many then pro- so many problems. Be, being being left handed in a right handed world, I always mm, get like mm. tons of ink on my hand. It's just I can't win. Can't win. Shows you're a worker. Shows you're a worker. I am a Speaking worker. Speaking of, let's talk about this uh this Kate Wagner article. It was uh published in Architectural Review Letters to a Young Architect. It's like a whole issue yeah. of uh the magazine that they published and they got a lot of different people to write these letters to young younger architects uh, let's see i think they said they had 46 different architects and critics and teachers and artists and enthusiasts to kind of write something to the what do they call it the <laughs> eternal figure of the young architect so yeah. it could be advice it could be experience it could be words of warning it could be <laughs> it could be anything yeah. right it, it, yeah. it's kind of interesting that it that it is kind of a, a you could be writing a, a letter to your younger self you could be writing a letter to an idealized kind of version of of who you think an architect is going to be there's there's so many different ways that that could be interpreted uh, and i'm sure it yeah. was i didn't read any of the other ones except for kate's yeah i didn't i i didn't go through those but when you sent me the article and I pulled it up, I, I saw that you could click on a little link and it actually brought you to where all of the other articles were, kind of collection of letters to a young architect. And it reminded me of, you know, I was given this book by Adam Gross and uh, it's it's called Lessons from the Future. So what's interesting about it is that it is from a lot of different architects. You know, there's like Deborah Burke. I'm just kind of like scrolling down the thing, Kurt Ventress. Adam Gross. I mean, it just goes on and on. Art Gensler and so on. Uh, what it seemingly is about, I don't know, 134 pages of letters that you are basically sending to your young self. 
Mm. And it's it's all of these practitioners who've got you know, 30, 40 years of experience behind their belt. And they're basically, you know, providing, here's what I've learned in this profession. So, you know, I, I love that they're kind of making these constant letters to the young architect available one way, shape or form, whether it's, you know, this book and hopefully this book is digital or, you know, the uh, architectural review articles, you know, because, and we'll get into like the meat of what she was talking about. But I think what I like about like the book and the, these articles online is that there's an underlying layer of hope that they're trying to convey. They, they kind of know, and it could be from a practitioner, it could be from a critic like Kate, that the profession is tough. The profession can beat people down, can you know, these, these letters and, and, you know, hopefully to some extent what we do, you know, on this podcast and what other people do on their podcast too, is, you know, offer up a level of hope. People who are a little bit distraught at sometimes the, and what was um, popped out was architecture, uh, the drudgery of architecture as a profession. And, you know, that was, that Mm. was a a line from her, from her letter that, you know, just kind of stood out as it's like, you know, this, this is, this is what all of these, the intent of all of these letters are, is to provide you a light at the end of the tunnel from what you feel like might be just a rough, rough profession sometimes. Yeah, I, th- I think that hers is much more of a, like you said, it could be a word of warning. And I think it's kind of a challenge to say, because we don't have a lot of time to get into the nitty gritty right. of this with our with our new formed rules of our around our our show <laughs> keeping it at a certain length but I think that her hers it really is a challenge to say because we we've all seen this behavior we've seen the 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 way that the profession can neuter people and their thinking right. and and they just become kind of day-to-day clock in clock out mentality um this is a paycheck it's security um, whereas when they graduated, they might've had quite a bit more optimism about where this could go. Right. And, and a lot of times that's because you get trained as one thing and end up doing something completely different because there aren't that many jobs for what you got trained to be. You know, she talks about one's agency ending at graduation. Yeah. And then that's also kind of where this, this neutering begins. Right. Because, um, and, and what she's saying is, and, and I think to your point about the hope is that is that you're a worker, and that is important. And we've talked a lot on this show about how design happens everywhere on a right. project, right. and everybody on the team is responsible for design, whether that's in your title or not. You're making decisions every day that design so many aspects of a project and the ultimate user's experience mm-hmm. of of that and how it can be so much better than what they thought it might be. Right. There's so much potential there. And and so she's talking about being a worker and having that critical thinking happen in your day to day and not just take things for the way that they are. And she references several things about the cult of overwork and the hero worship of Starkitex <laughs> and um, low pay and staying late for the good of the project. She talks about a lot of those things that people just kind of take them as they as they are, because that's how architecture is. Right. And you should be critical about so many things. And I think that's really the underlying message here. And, and obviously her as a critic, she she kind of operates in that world. But we really, truly have lost a lot of that ability to be critical of so many things, let alone the architecture. Right. 
because it's just a job for so many people that we work with. And that does, I'm trying not to generalize and I'm trying not to be too specific. Like I'm trying to operate. I don't want to like be diversive here in any way, but this, this is something that we see over and over again is just the acceptance of compromise of so many different things. Well, and the work really does suffer, and our ability to change the world really does suffer because of that. Well, I mean, you know, this is, I think, this w- weird little transitional period that people never really questioned early on. Like when we were coming into the profession, the transition from hand drafting to computer drafting and then so on and so forth. It's just like, this is the way it is. Don't question it. Get your experience under your belt. Do what's asked of you and shut up and draw kind of mentality. At the time, we never really questioned it because, okay, well, this is just what you do and you move on. And in, 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 I think now is a really good period in architecture and for, for us to be able to move beyond the stagnant nature of architecture. And, and there's a, a lot of different things that kind of suffer from this mentality of just, you know, shut up and do what you're told kind of mentality. Because, you know, the design suffers, the interaction with the client may suffer, the how the building actually gives back to the community suffers. And, and so being able to take the part, uh, you know, in this particular case, you know, the contention of, you know, you need to think of yourself as a worker. Well, I mean, a lot of times people who think of themselves as a worker don't feel like they actually have the ability to change things. Oh, I'm just an employee. But no, you get more right. and more workers together and that's when you can actually enact a critical change to the to the profession and that's where i see the hope of you know a lot of these different things it's like you have the opportunity to group together as one as one big voice that says look you're expecting us to come in early and stay late why what's the benefit or you want to do it this way but there's other ways that you know might change the way that we're productive or, you know, might actually help the project become more profitable or something. So why are we doing it that way? So if you get more and more people asking why, then you actually mm-hmm. um, can enact a change that you would otherwise think that as an individual, you wouldn't be able to do. Yeah, she talks a lot about doing these things collectively, yeah, exactly. right? And and so this this to me is is a much larger concept that she's talking about because Yes, there are groups within companies and there are groups within schools and like that can do that and affect change on those levels. But I think what a letter like this has the ability to do is pull you outside of your day to day and start to look at our profession that we have built and that we continue to operate within based on rules of the past or, um, you know, there's so many different components that have kind of played into where we are. And a lot of times those are just accepted as the norm um, or the way it is, right? And and they say, uh, oftentimes, I've, I've heard the, the quote, you know, the most dangerous thing that you can say is we do it because this is how we've always done right. it. And and so don't, don't just accept that at face value, but critically think about why it's important to kind of question that over and over and over again. And I think we see that, and we talked about this the other day on our one of our shows, it's just like we're in a time of unprecedented change. And she, <laughs> I, I hate... I hate to even bring those words up because they're just overused right now. But we have to be able to kind of constantly adapt yes. now yeah. to a a world that's changing faster than we've ever seen it change before. And and so if we don't 
constantly and critically look at why we do things the way that we do them, and is that still the right way given this new set of rules and values and et cetera, et cetera, then we kind of have become neutered and we're just clocking in and clocking out right. and, and mindlessly doing this day-to-day For thing. For the greater good. <laughs> uh, the, yeah, very yeah. monotone. And, you know, and you, you're absolutely right. And, you know, not to beat a dead horse on that point, but, I mean, we are most, these letters are very timely because it is asking us to step back and take a look at ourselves as not just an individual within the practice or an individual within the firm, but an individual as part of a collective of the profession. And is the profession doing the right thing? Is the, is the profession actually geared towards being mobile and being able to actually become a, a an adaptable profession for the ever fast changing times that we have, which, you know, if, if, you know, we, we talked about this, um, you know, about tech companies who, you know, that that's what they're doing. They're analyzing, you know, the constant changing world and adapting to it and trying to figure out what is the best way to evolve, to make sure that they not only stay relevant, but stay in business or vice versa, stay in business Mm -hmm. and stay relevant. Mm -hmm. And and we've got to do the same thing. I mean, the the depressing stat of how critically low we as architects are involved in the you know design and construction of the built environment because we're making ourselves somewhat irrelevant in the overall construction process in some cases. That's where we have to step back and, and look at. I saw this comment from somebody in in, in the social media world and one of them, somebody was talking about how they're so tired of, they just want to do capital A architecture, you know, or so tired of doing small A architecture. And, and I don't know why, but that always seems to trouble me or kind of, you know, piss me off that that's the mentality that we have is that the only the big, good, glossy image uh, architecture is the only architecture that's worth doing. And that's sort of why we're only doing a really small percent of, you know, the built environment or affecting, you know, the, the, the smallest amount of change in the built environment, because we take this mentality of, is that we should only be doing, you know, highbrow work. And to be quite honest with you, as somebody who grew up poor from the wrong side of the tracks in this profession, I've always wanted to be able to enact change on people who can't afford an architect in the way that we work today. And so how do we bring architecture, real architecture, to those people who would no, never never really have architecture. Those are kind of like some of the critical interventions of the profession that, you know, as a collective talk about so that other people are talking about it. And so more and more people talk about it. So it's like, how do we become relevant? How do we become accessible to the greater, you know, whole of the built environment? Well, and she calls that P-architecture, which I thought was such a great word, P-architecture, right? It's, it's all about the PR and that's all yeah. it's about is getting yeah. your name in the in the yeah. press. And and I I agree with you that and I kind of feel like the one of the things that's missing and she references this kind of collective organization uh, a project, right? So that we actually have this or overarching profession-wide set of values. She doesn't come out and say that, but I I think that's kind of where this is pointing. And what you're talking about right now is a mismatch of values, right? You're talking about somebody who wants to work on 
quote unquote sexy projects um, that are P architecture and instead of architecture that matters to people who use it on a day-to-day basis and that can it's funny because there's this saying right architecture can change the world or design can change the world it's such a passive statement Mm, yeah it's like yeah it can but it's not going to do it by itself people and the word can has possibility but it is not a given and so stop stop kind of passively watching from the sidelines and organize together because if we don't organize together and everybody works on these little things independently, they will never accumulate to enough to move the needle. It's got to be together. And we talked about this in an episode or two ago uh, regarding what it's going to take to change this profession. I mean, that's really what we're talking about here. If you want to be relevant in the future, have a set of values that are relevant to people and then follow that up by doing, 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 doing. That's how you stay relevant is that you have a clear set of values and then you deliver on those over and over and over again. And those set of values should translate to the people who use our buildings. Our And, and their our is totally in quotes. They're not it's our theirs. buildings. <laughs> yeah. 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 I, I think that there's so, there's so much thinking critical thinking that needs to happen here and it needs to happen on a very high level with lots of diverse involvement Mm -hmm. to kind of cover all the bases and and make decisions together that benefit society and that truly is what architecture can do but again it's it will not do it by itself so the you know the last couple of sentences of the article summarize that you know enacting a change it's the field you are in entering is not a friendly one. It is not an equitable one. Frankly, it is not an inspiring one either. I'm here to tell you, future architect, that you never ever have to accept things the way they are. In fact, it is your duty to change them. Yes. Mic drop. It's good stuff, yeah. man. I mean, I hope that this letter goes far and wide because uh, it has the ability to kind of snap somebody out of their, their day-to-day drone yeah that they're, they're kind of stuck in. Hopefully we uh, can at least get some people to read it and start passing it on to other people and passing it on to other people so that, you know, you actually can see that you don't have to do it alone. You don't have to think that take the weight of the world on your own shoulders. You know, this may be something that you pass, you know, you're passionate about. This may be something that you aligns with your values, but would be hard pressed to say that you're not the only one that there are other people out there that mm-hmm. certainly have those same values and look for them, mm-hmm. find them, you know, align with them and help change the profession so that more and more people with the values that align with yours and that you feel are the right direction of this profession. For so long, this profession has been closed to so many different people. You know, yes, we're ba- making baby steps towards the the changing of that become a more a far more equitable profession however it is a slow moving it's glacier pace it doesn't have to be you're finding more and more people who absolutely believe in the same things that you do you're finding that you're not alone and so that you know there are thousands of people out there in the profession that are practicing on a day-to-day basis that want that same change and so getting those thousands of people or tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of people together to actually help enact that change is exactly what everybody's responsibility is. And I think that there's so much hope in that statement alone, and the internet makes it possible for those people to connect. And honestly, if if we put in the effort to find those kind of like-purposed people with, with similar values, 
and a similar kind of fire, that is going to get you up in the morning. To me, there's nothing better than having a cause like that that really kind of stokes that fire because that that's what you were made to do. If you can connect with others that kind of help keep you accountable to that um, and we all kind of understand how our contribution can help get us there collectively, there's nothing better than that. Exactly. 